Are you interested in a true crime podcast with a different point of view with hosts who have seen the justice system from the inside? Then you should check out Alice and Brett and their show, The Prosecutors. In every episode, Alice and Brett bring a unique perspective as full-time prosecutors to the most famous and debated true crime mysteries, whether it's John Benet Ramsey, Maura Murray, Scott Peterson, or the Delphi murders, they dig deep to bring you the details that you won't hear anywhere else. The Prosecutor's Podcast is about more than just storytelling. Alex and Brett will walk you through the legal problems lurking behind every case. They break down the complexities of the criminal justice system with a little bit of humor and personal touch. And it's not just true crime. They bring the same training and approach that they've learned as prosecutors to classic mysteries like the Dialtov Pass incident and the ghost ship Marie Celeste. So if you're looking for a true crime podcast with a different point of view, a different approach, The Prosecutors is the podcast for you. I listen to this one myself. Highly recommend. Britt and Alice are great. You can find The Prosecutors wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stove Leg Media. Igniting conversation. We're all familiar to the typical motives for murder. Jealousy, arguments, anger. But what happens when innocent people are killed for profit? Before life insurance schemes, two killers stalk Scotland, abducting their victims, gruesomely killing them, and then selling their bodies for profit. Who were William Burke and William Hare? How did they get away with these bizarre crimes for so long? And what ultimately brought them to justice? This is True Crimecast. This is True Crimecast. Jamie and John here. John, I think this is the first time we've ever recorded in the morning. I know. I think I'm like really happy because I've still got coffee running through my veins. You seem to have a pep in your step. Maybe this is the new normal. <laughs> This would be nice. If this turns out really well, maybe we'll have to do it more often. Maybe this could be our full-time jobs. That would be great. That'd be awesome. Uh, Thank you all for your support, as always, for checking us out. We've got a good case in store for you today, but first, we need to thank some people. we got to thank a lot of people. Y'all are stepping up over on Patreon, so we really appreciate you all. So, good grief. Let's go through these. Angela came in $3 level. Thank you so much. Holly, $3 level. God bless you, Holly. Amanda, $3 level. Thank you so much. Another Amanda. You know who you are, Amandas. Thank you all so much. Last, certainly not least, our good friend Troy came in at an $11 level. Don't know what that means, but Troy, will hook you up, brother, and thank you for the support. Jamie, he gets a special shout-out. You got anything you want to say to Troy? Yeah, Troy, uh, he owns the studio we record in. We're very thankful for his support. We should be giving him money, so we need to call and talk to him about that. (laughs) Oh, how the turntables have turned. (laughs) Thank you, Michael, Gary, Scott. Uh, Really good case today. We... We've done some older cases. We've had little luck with Westerns. 
Like Billy the Kid wasn't super popular. But this case, John, is so, so interesting, and it's uh, something I didn't know about. Why don't you just go ahead and get us rolling? Well, we're all familiar with the typical motives for murder, like jealousy, arguments, anger. But what happens when innocent people are killed for the murderer's profit? I mean, like I know we hear about murder for hire, but that's not at all what we're talking about. So before life insurance schemes, there were two serial killers that stalked Scotland, abducting their victims, gruesomely killing them, and selling their bodies for profit. Who would be buying bodies, you ask? Well, there were over 16 killings over the course of 1828. Scotland was rocked when William Burke and William Hare were finally caught and tried for their vicious crimes. So we're going to talk about who Burke and Harris were. We're going to talk about how they were able to sell these dead bodies. And we're also going to talk about the trial that brought these guys to justice. And this is just a fascinating and very bizarre crime that were committed and uh, or crimes that were committed. And we're going to talk about those now. Yeah, the fact that they're both named William, uh, the, the Burke and Harry, it sounds like one of those old like jack tale fairy tale things. But this really happened in 1828. This is 19th century Scotland, the capital's Edinburgh, and it was known for being a leader in scientific and medical research. There were surgeons and physicians working at the city's colleges and universities. They're pioneering new procedures. And this is a time in history, John, where there's just a lot of exploration of of the human body, among other things, to try to figure out how this world works and how we can advance uh, medically and technologically. So as a result, the city became really an epicenter for anatomical research for all of Europe. They were really trying to keep up with uh, France, and they had kind of a rivalry going there. Students and doctors from around England and uh, the UK area would flock to Edinburgh to take part in these experiments. There was a problem though. A lot of these experiments, like in order to investigate the human body, to be a surgeon or to be even a medical doctor, you would have to see the inside of a human body. John, the way they would train people, they would, uh, you would go in and you could look at the inside of a hand and study that. But they wanted to get the doctors to a point to where they could look at your hand from the outside and be able to anticipate what the inside would look like based on what you're seeing. So they needed large numbers of corpses for dissection, for experiments, and for just showing students what the inside of these bodies looked like. Scottish laws at the time allowed colleges and universities to take a certain amount of bodies in of certain lower-class people uh, that weren't going to be given a big funeral ceremony and uh, kind of donated bodies to use them for teaching. This included prisoners, uh, people who committed suicides, and unfortunately at times at orphans. Once these individuals died, they were turned over to the university for scientific experiments. Even so, the demand for these cadavers could not be met. So you have this huge demand of, we need to train these doctors, but we don't have enough bodies. So that's like that's when businesses develop, right? You have this big demand in society there's no supply for it somebody's going to step up and try to profit all that so a big part of this was grave robbing there's a so-called quote-unquote resurrection man that would wait until uh, somebody was buried they had a funeral and then they would go right on behind them steal the body and recover the area in hopes that nobody would know what was happening uh, under the law 
if a body belonged to nobody, it was uh, legal to take the corpse. But if it was in a grave, it was certainly illegal. But it was a small criminal offense to disturb a grave site. So for some people, even if they got caught, it was worth the money to get between 8 and 10 pounds uh, paid to you for a corpse, if you could get it to them before it started to decompose. That's a, that's a weird time to live in, right? Like, you got grandma over here, and you're like, you know, we could bury her, or we could sell her this winter for 10 pounds. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it certainly is. They ended up hiring guards to monitor grave sites more thoroughly. There were protests in the streets, and some families uh, were even putting their passed away loved ones in iron cages that were locked to prevent the bodies from being stolen. So such a weird time to live in. Certainly no weirder than we're living in right now, but very differently weird. I think we still put some bodies in like iron vaults here in America. And I, I wondered, is that for like sanitary reasons or grave robbing reasons? I've never really thought about it until now. I assume a lot of those bodies are buried with stuff like jewelry on and fancy clothes and sometimes other items. And I think grave robbing is less for the bodies now than it is what's with the bodies. Sure. Uh, But with grave robbing, which was once a very highly profitable enterprise, uh, it was being attacked. And that way of making money was kind of going away. So there were two men that got this idea of how to make some money without robbing graves Instead of digging up the dead, they would find the living, kill them, and then profit off of the corpse, selling it to a university. I mean, entrepreneurs, that's what they were. So let's talk about them for a little bit. Let's talk about William Burke first. He was an Irish native. He had had a middle-class childhood. Still, his adult life was one of dysfunction. He was married and had some kids, but in 1818, about 10 years before the murders began, he abandoned his family and quickly fled the area and moved to Edinburgh, where he would later remarry. He worked as a cobbler, and he was pretty successful in the field. He made about a pound a week, and Jamie, that doesn't sound like a lot to me, but maybe back then it was good. I don't know. Uh, I don't think he was like rolling in it, but you know. He was making a living. He was popular in the area. It was reported that he had a great sense of humor, and he was so devout to his Presbyterian faith that he was rarely seen without a Bible. William Hare worked in the area's coal mines, and he was also known to have a couple of wives. He was illiterate. He was crass. He was very difficult to get along with. So he was quite the opposite of Burke. So So Burke and and Jamie and John... We're on the same wavelength here. Who's Hare and who's Burke? I listened to a BTH this morning just to kind of do some quality control. You were angry the whole time. I think you were more like a I could be Hare. I'll take that. I mean, you get angry at vacuum cleaners. <laughs> I'm a, Yes, I do. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, check out our other podcast called Bless Their Hearts. We talk about a lot of stuff that's not murder. Jamie is an angry old man. Anyway... In 1827, both Burke and Hare were working a side job on a farm. This is where they met, and they became buddies, and apparently they liked to drink to each other. They became drinking buddies. In less than a year after they met, Burke and Hare would transform from everyday popular citizens to some of the most infamous murderers of the 19th century. 
Neither of the men were very wealthy, and they seemed to always be scheming up new ways to earn a quick dollar. When they realized that Edinburgh had a demand that could not be met and paid very well, they began their scheme of tracking down innocent residents of the city, killing them, and then profiting off of their murders. One of the first obstacles they faced was finding a doctor who would not only pay for the cadavers, but not ask a lot of questions. They started to discreetly track down potential buyers and visit a local college. They were looking for one professor named Professor Monroe, but they couldn't find him. So they ended up connecting with a different medical school professor named Dr. Robert Knox. Now, Knox was a grisly guy. He was kind of disfigured and scarred because uh, he had a smallpox infection as a child. Maybe that's what drove him into medicine. He was blind in one eye and had been involved in the military. So this is a rugged, rugged doctor. But despite his appearance, he was one of the more popular instructors at the school. He had over 400 students. And the way this would work, John, if a professor could offer, hey, come to my class and uh, I have a cadaver for you to work with and you can become better trained to be a doctor, then they would enroll in your class and you got money for the students that were enrolled. So there was money to be made here for him. This wasn't just for research. Like he could make money off having these bodies. He tried to perform two corpse dissections a day with his students. Uh, and some other people would sneak in and try to like sit in on his class. Two bodies a day was a lot. So there's a big demand for these bodies. And again, they either needed to be preserved or newly deceased which makes it even more difficult to, to do this. So Burke and Hare were able to connect with him, and they knew that they had their man. So now that they knew what they were going to do, they just had to execute their plan. So there was a boarding house that Hare had been working at, so essentially a place where really poor people could just come and stay and get a meal, pay a nominal fee uh, to have somewhere to sleep. And there was a man named Donald on November 29th of 1827 that died of natural causes while he was in the boarding house. So the normal procedure here was to alert the authorities and they would uh, send for the body and create a death certificate and look for relatives. But instead of alerting the city, Hare and Burke jumped into action. They put the body in a cart and wheeled it literally just up the hill to the university. Uh, the local Church had paid for a coffin uh, for the deceased and had delivered it to the boarding house because they'd heard what would happen. But they took the body out of the coffin again and put it in a cart and filled the casket with weights so nobody would know any different. So that casket was buried with weights in it. When they got up to meet uh, Dr. Knox, they actually met some of his representatives, so like graduate students and that kind of thing. Dr. Knox was very quick, and he ultimately settled on the price for the first body of seven pounds. So the men were happy. They didn't make seven pounds. You mentioned that uh, the cobbler made one pound a week. So this is seven weeks of work, given they would be splitting it, at one time. And that's really something that they uh, had a hard time passing up. And before they left, they were told, hey... If you come across any more of these, we will gladly pay for more, which is kind of the tipping point in this that goes from let's sell this body for seven pounds to we need more bodies. 
After the break, we will share the details of how Burke and Hare's greed turned from stealing corpses for money into cold-blooded killers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Guys, if you haven't already tried it, John and I really want to tell you about our other podcast. Jamie, it's called Bless Their Hearts, and it is probably the most fun that I have recording a podcast ever. We try to keep it lighthearted, and we talk about stuff that is just ridiculous and silly but it's a lot of fun. It's a great stress reliever and pretty much the opposite of True Crime Cast. We're going to play a quick clip to let you know a sample of what Bless Their Hearts is about. I'll wipe grease on my jeans, not I won't wipe cheese on them. Don't be ridiculous, John. Sure cheese, Cheetos dust comes out once you wipe it on. I think it's like orange for life. Yeah. Like, John, <laughs> yeah. that makes perfect sense. You wear the right colors, boy. You can eat Cheetos all day long. Nobody ever know it. So go ahead over to iTunes and download, subscribe, and start listening to Bless Their Hearts today. Jamie, there's been some disagreement as to when Burke and Hare actually began their murders. Most agree that it was around the first part of January 1828. And that's when a man who was living in Hare's boarding house was smothered with a pillow in the middle of the night. One of the men held the pillow like over his face while the other sat on top of his chest, basically preventing him from escaping and also preventing him from breathing. So like picture a body laying on the ground, you're holding a pillow over their face. I'm sitting on their chest. Like you can't take in air through the pillow, of course, but also I'm not letting your chest expand and you're not able to get away from me. And from what I've heard of this first murder, if this was indeed it, Not only did they, this was the first time they started using this method, but they identified this guy as being sick. And they were like, you know what? He's going to die within a couple weeks anyway. Let's just speed this up and make some money. Yeah, that's what I was about to say is the victim had a fever and was acting kind of delirious. And Hare was afraid that word would soon spread that he was sick, which would not be good for business, but also that the guy was potentially contagious and potentially spreading this to other people in the boarding house would certainly not be good for business. So they did the most logical thing they could and murdered him. <laughs> so, so not only was he going to make them money if they killed him, but if they didn't kill him, he was going to cost them money. Right. So it was instead of just asking him to leave, they profited by murdering him. After the murder, they sold the man's body for the agreed upon rate to Dr. Knox. So I'm kind of going to go through some other victims here kind of quickly The next victim was a woman. Her name was Abigail Simpson. It was reported that she was a door-to-door salt salesman. I didn't know that that was a job at one time. Did you? Well, I 
didn't, but it makes sense looking back at the time that salt was used to like preserve meat and that kind of thing. So yeah, but you just didn't have a Walmart there in the Edinburgh, so they they had a door to door salt salesman. I bet they do now. Um, and she was in the boarding house in mid February. She visited Hare's house. The men got her really drunk, and they ended up killing her. They placed her in a trunk, and then again delivered her to Doctor Knox. There was another salesman who was killed around the same time. Burke and Hare gave him uh, enough whiskey that he just wanted to lay down. And when he went and laid down, at that point, they again set on him and smothered him. So they the next month, with the body count increasing, Burke and Hare killed another older woman. They got uh, her really intoxicated to the point where she became unconscious. And they did something a little different here, Jamie. It was reported that this time... They filled her mouth and nose with stuffing and suffocated her over the course of a day. So this wasn't the quick, you know, and suffocating is not quick and painless, but it, it was more of a drawn out, almost torturous thing is what I'm kind of thinking of. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Why was it so different than all the others? Yeah, well, after they ran out of potential victims at the boarding house, they started targeting people at like whiskey stores and they thought that, well, they found out quickly that it was hard to hold somebody down if they were alert and willing to fight. So they started getting people drunk in order to make it easier to hold them down. And I, I guess this for them was if they were able to put her in this situation where they didn't even have to be there, that it was less work on them. And that's all they were really concerned about. So you're right. It does go from a relatively fast killing to an entire day of torture just to make it more convenient for them. So the next one we're going to talk about was Mary Patterson. She was rumored to have been having an affair with Burke. So what happened was they snuck into her room while she was asleep. Also, she was drunk and then they killed her. They again used the the trunk to transport her body to Dr. Knox. So upon arriving, at Dr. Knox's place, her body was still warm. So they didn't waste any time in getting her there. One of Knox's assistants was reportedly upset at, at this because he recognized the dead woman. Burke and Hare assured him that she had uh, drunk herself to death in the boarding house and, and just died. Dr. Knox placed her body in whiskey to preserve it for several months before dissecting it. Again, I know this is a a time before modern medicine. Never heard of putting things in whiskey as a way to preserve them. Is that something new to you? Yeah, I was not aware of that. In April, their MO was repeated with another elderly woman. A month later, yet another older woman whom Burke killed alone. So there was a time when Burke killed somebody by himself. I'll talk more about that in a minute, yeah. This didn't make William very happy. So next was an impoverished neighborhood woman whom Burke found already drunk to the point of unconsciousness. In that case, local policemen actually helped Burke carry the very drunk woman to the boarding house where she would eventually be killed. Next, the two killed a couple of lodgers at the boarding house. One was an elderly woman and then her young grandson. When she was alone, the two killed the woman in their typical smothering fashion they then went into the common room, picked up the young boy, and took him to the bedroom where they they had just killed his grandmother, and he was murdered in the same way. 
The two bodies were placed in a large barrel for transportation this time, and Burke and, and Hare earned 16 pounds for the both of them. The murder of the child was one of the few they had expressed remorse for, and they later claimed that that murder in particular would go on to haunt them afterwards. They were so upset, or Hare was so upset after delivering the bodies that he shot his horse and killed it, which is a very odd way to cope with killing something. Horses are not cheap, John. That's a very uh, poor move on his part to 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 do that. Uh, in June, just a few months after their killing spree began, and they were doing it really quickly, Hare had been out of town and came back from a trip to find out that Burke had been making a lot of expensive purchases and had spent more money than based on their business together, he probably should have had. So Burke initially denied that he had killed other people, but like you said, eventually that he confessed that he had been doing it by himself, but he said that it had only been one other victim that he had sold to Dr. Knox for eight pounds. So they kind of had a little bit of a falling out. They didn't kill anybody else until early October, and then they went back to doing what they'd been doing. There was a woman that worked at the laundry. There was a distant relative and then another female victim. Uh, they did switch their MO slightly at some point. They targeted a man with a mental disability known as Daft Jamie in Edinburgh. His real name was James Wilson, and he was loved all around town, known to be harmless and friendly, and the community really supported this guy. But they kind of knew he was an easy target. They manipulated him uh, and invited him in. He, he had been homeless, so it was easy to kind of lure him where they wanted him to be. They took him to a bedroom in the boarding house. Uh, he didn't drink much, so he was sober, unlike a lot of their other victims. So as a result, because they couldn't get him to get drunk like the others, he fought back. But ultimately, due to having... Two attackers, he could not get away, and they were able to kill James. When delivered to Dr. Knox, a lot of the students were upset because they'd recognized James from around town. This wasn't just a cadaver. This was somebody they had a connection to. Knox told them it wasn't him, however, and quickly dissected and disposed of the body before somebody else could make the identification saying that this was James that was well-known all around town. The final victims that we know of were killed on Halloween in 1828. Margaret uh, Doherty was a middle-aged woman who was lured to the boarding house by Burke, who had later called Hare in. They ended up drinking most of the night. Uh, they killed her and hid her body in straw until they could take it to Knox. There were other people staying in the boarding house that night, and they started to get suspicious uh, because they, at some point, were no longer allowed in certain parts of the house, and that's where Burke and Hare had either committed the murder or were storing the body. And later that day, the body was found by some other people that were staying there. It was in a straw pile. There was blood and saliva on her face where she had been held down and smothered. Burke and Hare were notified that the guests, which the people who identified the body, were the Gray family. They went directly to the police and told them that they had found a body. They were offered a bribe not to go to the police by Hare's wife, but they went anyway. So in a panic, while they were gone to fetch the police, the men took the body to Knox before the police could get there. But when police came, although uh, 
the body of Margaret was gone, they did find bloody clothing, and they saw what was obviously a scene of an altercation. Uh, and this was all under the bed in one of the bedrooms. And that point is when Burke's wife, who was aware of the killings, started to break a little bit. She didn't confess immediately, but the stories she gave the police were not consistent to let them know that something was fishy. In further questioning, police learned that Robert Knox was involved in the killing and had possession of the body. When they went to the lab, that's where they found Margaret's body. So they were starting to put all this together. The Gray family identified her as the corpse that they had seen earlier in the boarding house and told police they had seen her with Burke and Hare alive shortly before they saw her body. The men were arrested for this murder. They largely cooperated, offering police details and information about their 16 victims, like John said, really only showing remorse for the child. They claimed in their defense that they were not in their right minds. They were starting to say that they were, uh, in some ways, insane, or that they were always high or drunk when this happened, as if that's a good excuse to kill somebody. The Gray family, on the other hand, John, was praised around town, and the husband was actually offered a job at the police department, which I thought was a pretty cool story. Burke was found guilty of several of the murders and was hanged in 1829 in front of 25,000 people. That's a lot of people to come out to watch somebody get hanged. I guess that there was like little to no entertainment at that point, and uh, that's crazy to me. And word had gotten out. These guys had killed 16 people. So that was a huge story at this time, of course. So people flocked from all around. Ironically, John, his body was dissected by Professor Monroe, the very first professor that they sought out to sell these bodies to, ended up with the body of William Burke. I read uh, that, so there was 25,000 people there to watch these guys get hanged, right? Uh, I read that people that lived around the area where the hanging was taking place were actually able to sell tickets so that people could come inside their house and look out the windows to see what was happening. So a lot of entrepreneurs there in, in the, across the pond at this time. A lot of money to be made in Edinburgh in the 1820s. Uh, the skeleton of William Burke is actually still on display in the city of Edinburgh. Apparently the dissection and display was part of the punishment given by the judge, John. Hey, man, that's justice. <laughs> I guess. Hare was actually released after two years in prison. He was found not guilty during trial. He uh, actually testified for the prosecution and put all the blame on Burke and said that he was the sole killer, that Hare had done nothing more than help him transfer the bodies to Dr. Knox. His wife had also uh, turned state's witness or crown's witness, I guess, in this case. And she told the jury that they had a sick baby and that they really just needed money so badly that Hare was pulled into the scheme and Hare's defense that he had not killed anybody was successful. The jury believed it, even though we know that it took both men in most cases to hold the person down and commit these murders. He was kept in prison for his own protection because, again, 25,000 people come out to see somebody uh, on the gallows. If there's somebody helping them, they're not going to be friendly to that person at all. After his release, he was there was an attempt to attack him and kill him. He was able to escape with the protection of a hundred police officers. Wow, this was a huge deal. This wasn't just uh, some little story in a 
city in uh, Scotland, there was a lot going on. There was a lot socially, and obviously people were not okay with this happening. He eventually assumed a new name and rode off into the sunset, and we don't know anything else about what happened to William Hare. Dr. Knox refused to comment on his connection to Burke and Hare. There was an investigation, but they cleared him of any wrongdoing, claiming that he was not aware that the bodies were murder victims. Yeah, I'm going to call BS on that. <laughs> like, These guys are bringing you how many? 16? 16 bodies. Yeah, and, and some of them like within weeks of each other. You, you know, These guys aren't just, I'm going to say, quote-unquote, lucky enough to be finding dead bodies to, to bring them into you like... One of them was still warm, <laughs> and you guys put her in whiskey to preserve her. Like, no, I think Dr. Knox needs to be held more accountable here because any logical human would understand that there's something fishy going on here. And also, we also, we always ask, or most of the time we ask, was justice served here? I mean, do you think that uh, hair being released was okay? Like, I think he's a lot more involved in these murders than than the jury felt like. I know Burke did some murders on his own, but I feel like Hare was just involved, just as involved in the original killings and of the 16 that they kind of both did together. Again, they, the method was one person sits on the chest. The other person puts a pillow on the face. They had a system in which both people participated in their murders. So you can't say, well, he just sat on the chest and didn't hold the pillow. No, both actions contributed to the death of 16 people. The Gray family saw both of them with the last victim before her body was found. I don't know what they told the jury, but I, in my mind, can't see any reasonable doubt. And I don't know what the burden of proof was in 1829 in Scotland, but I can't find any route in my head to get to, no, this guy didn't do anything. Yeah, and and his wife playing the sympathy card with the jury, even even after hearing that, like, the dude still killed 16 people, like... His sick child can be cared for by his mother and whoever she marries next. <laughs> like, like, I'm yeah. sorry. I know that sounds crash, but I mean, this guy is responsible for changing the lives of a lot of people because of his actions. And I think he deserved the same punishment that his buddy Burke got. Yeah, I agree that the d- justice was definitely not served with hair. It wasn't served with Dr. Knox. Again, he was never charged with anything. He did resign from the university and he moved to London and, kind of kept doing the same work, but he wasn't as well known there. So it wasn't tracked back to him either to prevent him from making money or uh, prevent him from working or doing research or whatever. But John, looking back, this is really a situation of supply and demand. This is, these were economic murders An economic serial killer, something we have not covered here. Usually it's something psychological. It's uh, something sexual. It's something that drives these killers this is the first one we found that really seems to be all about the money. Yeah. This is a very interesting one. I know that some people don't like it when we go back so far into the past, but thankfully we've not seen anything like this in a long time. So we had to reach that far back for this one. So yeah, man, very interesting case. And it is very interesting that you were able to profit off these bodies like that. Yeah. And really the only thing that timestamps this is the way that medical research was being conducted. There was no way for, these cadavers to get there legally or for enough cadavers to be provided legally. Now, nowadays we do a lot of stuff with 
pigs. I mean, starting in high school, you're dissecting frogs and earthworms. I don't know what you dissected in Jellicoe, but that's what we did. But to get actual cadavers was really tough. Now, unfortunately, the population of the earth is such, I imagine that's not a problem. But that's where we were in medical history. So that kind of dates the case and timestamps it. Otherwise, something like this could really happen any time, John. If somebody just finding a way to profit off bodies, and they took advantage of the situation in a very, very negative way. Yeah. I'm glad we covered this. Kyle, thanks for writing this one up for us. And thank you all for listening in. We hope you enjoyed this for, you know, it's kind of awful, but, you know, it is kind of fascinating that this was happening in such a time. So thank you all for listening in. And, uh, Jamie, anything else before we go? No. Thanks for listening. Thanks. We've been getting a lot of ratings and reviews lately. If you keep that up, that'd be great. Yep. Share us with a friend. We'd love to, uh, get into the ears of more listeners but until next crime this has been true crime cast you've listened to true crime cast distributed by stoveleg media check out stoveleg.com to find out more about your hosts and to find other podcasts to listen to stoveleg media igniting conversation